Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. That could easily range from 3 to 5 to 7% depending on the size of the project that contractor normally would charge. In our case, we would roll it in and acquire equity in the project using that contractor's profit. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm your host, Joe Cornwell. And today I'm joined by Eugene Gershman, He's the CEO of GIS Development Corps. They're real estate developers focusing on multi and single family. Currently have 320 units and are working on a mixed use project as well. It's his first time on the show. So Eugene, welcome and thank you for joining us today. How are you? Good. Pleasure being here. So since it's your first time here, take me through your background and how you initially got into real estate. Absolutely. Well, I was born into real estate, family, second generation family business, originally started by my father. Now it's primarily my sister and I, her husband running the company. So grew up around construction. Dad, he started as a commercial GC. Then when I joined the company, right after getting out of college with my business degrees and economics, he lured me into the family business and there I am. Very good. So you had some family connections in real estate. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people I talked to had no connection to real estate and had to figure it out as they went. So what advantages would you say having that background gave you when you started? I think the biggest advantage was my familiarity with the construction process. Even though I was never a builder, I didn't grow up on a construction site per se. I was always surrounded by it. I was always set in uh, meetings and I think that gave me the biggest advantage. We, at one point, uh, operated a design engineering firm. So a lot of these discussions, one of the first lessons that my father gave me was uh, do not cut corners when it comes to design and engineering. It will always come back to bite you in a butt. So that's probably the biggest advantage uh, to become a developer is that it really is important to lay that foundation both literally and figuratively before you go into the project. So specifically... As it relates to your real estate projects, what do you mean? Are you talking about the planning and development stage? You're talking about the actual physical blueprints, drawings, things like that. Is that what you're referring to? 
Absolutely. So planning development is super important, but then once you actually assemble the team together, it's extremely important to make sure that the team is knowledgeable and experienced. There's a lot of designers out there who have great ambitions, but don't have a lot of experience and having lived through actual construction cycle, not just design a building, design a house, but actually go through and build it and find out what's been missed. It's such an intricate process that it is very important. A lot of developers out there, they go and buy uh, inexpensive plans. A lot of times they're missing details. A lot of times they're missing interior designs. And then they go through construction and they're surprised by all of these unknowns that keep coming up. So yes, that's uh, from early planning, reading the code to actually sitting in the design coordination meetings, uh, making sure that every little detail is thought through. Yeah, I think it's something that's often overlooked. And I have a background in construction and the types of real estate investments I do are large renovations that my typical role in my business is doing the project management on some of these large renovation projects. So you're speaking to my heart, certainly, and, and hopefully the audience as well. But I think it is something that's overlooked when you consider doing, whether it's just a large existing structure renovation or it's actual development, new construction. There's so many aspects that go into having a well-executed plan. And I think it is something that people don't talk about enough. But backing up to your personal journey here, what was your initial deal? How did you actually get into real estate yourself? And what did that look like? So the very first deal that I was part of was back in 2003. We actually had a project overseas that we were looking at. And uh, I just got my MBA. I had ambitions to uh, go into finance and uh, learn more about financial markets and didn't really want to be part of the family business. But we had this opportunity overseas back in Hungary. Had a pretty cool mixed-use project, uh, City of Budapest that our partners invited us to participate in. I moved over there. I was just married maybe six months or so. <laughs> so we moved to Hungary. We're looking at the project. Looking back, it wasn't a success for me. It was a good experience. We never ended up building the project. Partners were never able to get their building permit. But I spent about nine months there and primarily focused on putting together a construction team. We had a branch of our GC operations that we set up there. We brought in our project managers and superintendents. We hired a few people on site locally. I spent a lot of time going over construction documents. I mean, it was a huge project. The stack was this big of different construction documents, numbers, pro formas. There was a lot of different iterations, a lot of complexities there. So got my toes wet in real estate. As it was becoming obvious that that project wasn't going to happen, we went back, we're based around Seattle area, and we're looking at some properties around here to acquire and develop. And I actually started working on this first project while I was still back there. We acquired a small site in downtown Bellevue, which is just right outside of Seattle. And I started reading. I didn't know much about building codes. I didn't know much about the process. And that was how I got started. It was just me. We had a couple consultants that we were working with, and I had to literally read the codes ask questions, go to meetings, and figure out how to get it done. So what was the exact parameters of this first deal you did? And you said this was back in Seattle? It was back in Seattle, yep. That first deal was a mixed-use condominium development. We had an interesting and ambitious plan. The site was fairly small, which is what attracted us in it in the first place. It was about 4,500 square feet. 
we acquired the lot. Well, at first we partnered with the original owner of that property. He wanted to develop it. He was not a professional developer. My father and I met with him and looked at the plans. We were like, okay, well, you can't develop it, but we're happy to help. So it started out as a partnership. In the end, we ended up buying them out a couple of years later. At first, we looked at the zoning, and the zoning allowed us to build a 200-foot tower. And at first, we kind of laughed at it. We were like, well, 200-foot tower in a 4,000-square-foot lot, that's just never going to work. And then we talked to a structural engineer, and the structural engineer said, well, structurally, it could be done. And then we talked to an architect, and the architect said, yeah, architecturally, that could be done. And that's how it started. We ran the numbers at the time that was pre-2008. The market was crazy. By the time we started going with this project, put the team together, it was probably around the end of 2005, beginning of 2006. Everything was looking absolutely perfectly. And then 2008 happened. Where were you at in the process at that point? We were like 99% through the approval process. We're about to get the building permit. Oh, wow. So you hadn't even broke ground yet. We haven't even broke ground all those years. Wow. Exactly. Well, we acquired the site in 05. By the time we got ramped up, it was uh, closer to 06. It took a good two years to get through design and permitting around here, which is fairly common for a commercial project. And then 2008 happened. Well, it started in September, I think, of 2007 when the subprime hit. And we had to put the project on hold. We're actually super happy, super proud of this development. We ended up shelving it for a few years, held on to the site, shelved that project, redesigned it, and restarted the project just a couple of years ago, which is now being completed under the name of GIS Plaza. It's very unusual for us. So obviously, more normal projects take much less. But since you asked about my first, this was my first and just happens to be one of my recent, just by the nature of the way things worked out. One thing that comes to mind, you held on to this for almost 20 years now, right? 18, 19 years or so. And this is in Seattle area. So just the value of the lot, aside from the development, how much had that appreciated over that span? Oh, at least five times. 5X. Okay. And what did you pick it up for? It was just about a million. I think it might've been just under. It was kind of an interesting process there. We ended up going through the street vacation process with the city. We ended up picking up the sidewalk. That's a whole separate story that I could probably talk about for hours, but we needed the sidewalk to add to our floor area ratio, which is basically a paper number, but we had to physically go through the process, buy the sidewalk from the city, and then give it back to them as an easement because it had to remain a sidewalk. (laughs) Okay. So about a million for the lot all in and just the land alone, again, excluding the development today's dollars, that would be probably 5 million. Yeah. Pretty close to 5 million. There's been a few properties that traded in the last few years in a neighborhood for north of $1,000 a foot. Obviously, the entire story is very interesting, but one nugget I took out of that is that for anybody listening, this is a deal that took almost 20 years, full cycle from development, partnership, buying them out, going through a recession, all the permitting issues, and obviously the Pacific Northwest is notorious for extremely long timelines and getting things done. So this is not the first time I've heard something like this. But even with all of that, just buying and holding the lot, and I'm sure paying the property taxes or whatever else you had to pay on it, you still were able to 5X your value in a 20-year period. Again, not even accounting for any of the actual development. So it kind of goes to show that if you look at a long enough timeline in a good market, you're going to make money, even with all the things that could possibly go wrong and stall you out. So I thought that was an interesting aspect of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Market fundamentals is the key. This area was growing ever since the 80s, 90s. This area just blew up with Microsoft and first Boeing. Before then, the Starbucks and Nordstrom's and all that. 
Recently, it's been mostly tech-driven. Amazon, Meta coming into town, and Google, and all those guys. Yeah, the migration from uh, California has been driving this area. So yeah, just by nature of buying a house, my parents bought a property in West Bellevue in the 90s for $200,000. Today, just the teardown would be probably north of $2 million. Just a teardown and you keep the lot. So take us through the last 20 years now you've been active in real estate. And I think you said you were holding about 125 units today. Is that all Seattle based or what markets are you investing in? Primarily, yeah, greater Seattle area. We have currently the only units that we're actually holding is this uh, condo building that we are finishing up. The next 320 unit apartment building that we are partnering up on uh, hasn't broken ground yet. So technically those units aren't built yet. And we're looking at several other acquisitions partnerships. Our model mostly is to uh, partner with existing property owners. Sometimes they're first time developers or lesser experienced developers. Sometimes they're just people who have the land. And the way we position ourselves is, especially right now, the market is not very good to sell. It's buyer's market. You can't get top dollar for your property anymore, especially if it's not an income-producing property. So our model is, let's develop it. Let's go through the cycle. We would partner with you. We know how to do it. You don't really need to do much unless you want to. And that's how we get things done and we partner up. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Now, when you're structuring these partnerships, are you bringing capital to these deals? Are you strictly bringing your expertise and your experience with your development? Or is it some sort of combination? It's a combination. Mostly, our starting point is we contribute our profits. So when we partner up, first thing we say is we don't need to be making profit during the process. We would like to make actual money when the project is done, finished refinanced or sold, that's where the money is coming in. So we're vested in the success of the project. The overhead does need to be covered. We hire a lot of people. We do have some overhead that needs to be taken care of. So typically that needs to be financed. The next step is we help bring financing. We either go through what I like to call financial engineering. There's multiple different ways to structure deals. The last deal we did was a unique structure. We set it up with a ground lease model where we sold the land, bifurcated land from the building, sold the land, used the proceeds from the land sale, then got a bank, a construction loan on top of that, got it financed this way. On this new project we're working on, we're bringing in an investment company who is going to be financing part of the equity and part of the debt as well. On some other deals, we are syndicating and helping structure the syndication and the fundraising. So that's part of our development scope. Now on some of these property owners, let's just say a hypothetical one, you find a property owner, you're going to partner with them. Like you said, they can't really do anything with the land. Maybe they don't have the financials or the experience. They can't really sell it because it's to find a buyer in this market. Are they using that land as collateral or down payment on financing for construction loans? How has that played a role in your deals? For the most part, the easiest way to get going in the first place is to leverage the land itself. It's fairly easy to get a 50% loan to value on uh, raw land. Most commercial banks would do that. Private lenders would do that in a heartbeat. Of course, it's more expensive. But that would be the easiest way to get started. Usually, the loan against the land gives us enough cash to hire the team, get the project designed and permanent. When the permitting is closed, about you know, a year before we know that we're going to get started with construction, we start working on fundraising. 
and exploring various options to fundraise to get the project built. So before the construction loan is taken out, we need to secure equity, we'd bring in the construction loan, the early bridge loan that was secured by the land itself gets paid off, and then we roll it into a construction. Yeah, it's an interesting model. There's several things in there I like, but it sounds similar to my background in the sense of now I'm in multifamily, not necessarily in development, even though I'd love to do some development. But when I find a partner, a JV partner or a capital partner, they're partnering with me because I'm the one usually finding the deals and handling operations and we manage our own portfolio. My company does. So it's a relatively passive type of investment for my partners. But as you mentioned, I don't make any money off of the fees. I don't make any money off of the construction margins. It's not like a typical contracting where I'm charging cost plus a margin. So as you mentioned, the goals are completely aligned with the success of the project or the property and the business plan. And you don't make any money in that unless the deal performs. Is that all correct? Exactly. And because we do have an affiliate contractor, the biggest chunk of so-called equity that uh, we're putting in there is that construction profit. That could easily range from 3 to 5 to 7%, depending on the size of the project, that contractor normally would charge. In our case, we would roll it in and acquire equity in the project using that contractor's profit. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. A 1031 exchange is one of the greatest tools to build your real estate portfolio. But before you sell your next investment property, if you want to save thousands in capital gains taxes, please give our friends at 1031 Pros a call. Whether you're an individual investor, title company, or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help you or your clients with their 1031 exchange needs. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros specializes in various types of exchanges like delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states, all while ensuring your transaction is fast, reliable, transparent, and secure. 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and right now, best ever listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash best ever. That's my1031pros.com slash best ever to get $250 off today. Have you heard that Mint, the popular personal finance app, is shutting down? If you use Mint, that's bad news. The good news is that there's an even better alternative, Monarch Money. Monarch gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with others. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. Most personal finance apps are clunky and cluttered with ads. Monarch is different. Its intuitive design makes setup, customization, and everyday use simple and easy. Monarch is also the most customizable budgeting app available. You can change your dashboard layout, create custom budgets and notifications, and even invite your partner, accountant, or financial advisor to have a joint view of your finances at no extra cost. Once you try Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it was named 2024's best budgeting app by the Wall Street Journal. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash best ever for your extended 30-day free trial. So looking forward, we're in early 2024. What types of deals are you looking for? Are you still looking to acquire new deals this year? Absolutely. Yeah, we're open. Uh, we have several conversations going right now with property owners. There's a potential for us to do a mixed-use residential condo development. 
smaller development, probably about $15 million value. We're also looking at high-end single-family developments. There's a number of single-family sites around here that finished homes could be selling for anywhere in the neighborhood of 10 to $15 million. So that would be something that we'd be interested in. Wouldn't be necessarily interested in smaller sub-million dollar deals, but something where we could do something different, where we could design an interesting building and leave a mark in the community. And now, again, this is all Seattle area. This is where you're focused. You're not looking at other markets. A couple of years ago, we had this whole planning process where we were trying to see where we'd be in the next five, seven years. And we said one of the goals would be to diversify geographically. We didn't really have any specific areas that we would want to go to. We had a few folks from Alaska that worked with us. So we said, well, why not Alaska? We had looked at potentially looking at something in Texas, again, because we knew somebody there. So no current specific plans, but if an opportunity comes along to look at a project in another area, absolutely would be interested. Okay. So for anyone listening to this or somebody like myself who is interested in getting into developments of whatever size that may be, what would your advice be to them on how to find the right, whether it's builders, is it an entire full encompassing development company? How do you find the actual moving parts to get the deals built? Because it sounds like you're not doing this in-house, if I'm understanding correctly. So what would your advice be to somebody looking for those things? Well, most of the work we do do in-house. Construction, we do own a construction company. So all of the estimating pre-construction work is done in-house. Specific work is being subbed out, of course. But definitely somebody who has enough of a network to be able to put the deal together. What is extremely important, and that's always a chicken and egg process that we go through, is in order to build a pro forma, you have to know how much it's going to cost you to build a building. If you go to a contract and ask them how much it's going to cost me to build a building, you're going to get an answer about the same if you asked a car salesman how much it's going to cost to buy a car without specifying anything else. You could buy a $2,000 Civic that's barely running, or you could buy a Maybach for a hundred times that. <laughs> so it is almost impossible for a contract to tell you how much it's going to cost to build a building. So then you need to start pulling on threads to build more of a picture. And obviously it helps to talk to contractors that have built similar buildings in the past to see what their historical numbers are looking like. It's important to talk to design and engineering team that's designed similar buildings in the past, but not only designed them, but actually went through and built them or had them built so that they know what's been missed before, what to do and what not to do. And then once you have all that information, you've got to put the pieces together. But before you can even make a final decision, there's a number of tests that you have to run to make sure that at least the basic steps are taken. You got to take the soil study, make sure there's nothing in the dirt, make sure you do the survey to uh, figure out that there's nothing uh, that's going to prevent you from getting this building built in the future. And once uh, all of that preliminary feasibility study is done, only then you can actually tie the lot down and start spending big bucks. We got a lot of requests from uh, inexperienced property owners who say, well, I've got this land. What is it going to cost? We're like, look, we can spend an hour to see if we can find anything that's out on the surface. But realistically, if you want to mitigate risks, you got to spend some money up front, do the basic surveys, basic tests to make sure that the project is going to be feasible. So in your deals that you're doing, are you and your company 
basically fronting all this cost on the hopes that it works out? Is this coming from the potential landowner who you're made partner with? How are you structuring these and how much are you spending on average to even get to a decision-making point? What we typically do is we do spend some of our time and resources to do high-level research. And we do back-of-the-napkin analysis and projection to see if it just makes sense on the surface. If it does make sense on the service, then we typically offer an LOI, letter of intent, letter of interest, to the property owner, where we do ask for a deposit to go out and actually spend money to hire third-party consultants to do the geotech report, to do the survey, to do the environmental report if necessary, to find out what it's actually going to cost. The reason we ask property owner to do that is we say, look, even if it doesn't work out in the end, you still are acquiring an asset. And if you decide to go and sell the land, you've got the stack of paperwork that you would supply to your buyer that would make your case hopefully better. So we do obviously advance a lot of our time. We're not making any profit from that process. As far as how long it takes, it all depends on the complexity of the project. If it's a single family building on a flat lot, pretty quick, three, four weeks at most, we're ready. If we're dealing with steep slopes, wetlands, which we are experienced with a few of our projects in the past were on various kinds of critical areas, then it may require meetings with the city to go through the process, to go through the mitigation, probably several meetings with engineers to see how it could be done. That could take longer. Give me an example of what that may cost to get even to your decision-making point. Typically, I'd say it starts out around $25,000 if it goes just geotech and survey. If it does have to involve multiple meetings with the city, multiple meetings with environmental consultants, uh, figuring out uh, different things, I mean, it could easily run up to uh, 50000 or more and last up to six months, depending on the complexity. Again, I'm talking mostly about this area where the process getting stuff approved is fairly lengthy. There's a lot of partially just simple bureaucracy, partially just because there's a lot of stuff going on. Amazon alone is building like 17 towers. I'm making up number, but it's a lot <laughs> in the neighborhood here. Yeah, that's very interesting. I appreciate you sharing all your insight on the development. Are you ready to transition to the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. What is your best ever book recommendation? Best ever. So originally I thought oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley. I've read it a couple times, uh, really liked it. There was one more I thought of just before we started. That's the book I actually reread three times, and that was Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yep, that's a good one. What is the best ever way you like to give back? So we're pretty heavily involved with our local schools here. I've got three kids, elementary, middle, and high school. So school foundation, that's mostly what we're involved with. My wife and I, she probably spends more time on it than me. Give me a mistake you made in one of your deals and the lesson you learned from it. The biggest mistake we made was a few years ago, during feasibility study, we met with a team of engineers, architects, various different consultants, and a couple subs on site to develop a high-end single family. It was on a steep slope, and the only way to build a foundation was to put in the pilings. One of our consultants or subcontractors that we met with at that time was a pile driller. The mistake that we made was we didn't vet him out very well. We didn't know what his experience was. He gave us a critical piece of information that the design team relied on, which was the maximum distance from the road that he could reach with his rig to put a pile in was, I think, about 18 feet. 
So that's how the building got designed. It was at a slight slope to the street. It was about 12 feet on one side and 18 feet on the other side of the building. When we got the permits and were bidding out the project, he disappeared. He couldn't take that job anymore. So then we went out and got a couple of the bids and every single drilling subcontractor that would come in would look at the plants and say, there's no way we can reach that. We cannot reach that far set of piles because they're too far. Our rig isn't going to be able to do that. And so the only way to fix that was to install another row of piles that the subcontractor would use as basically a stage, as a bench to reach that farthest set. That ended up costing, I forget, something somewhere around $50,000, I guess not that big in a big scheme of things, but uh, at the time it was a pretty big blow for that project, especially as the first thing that you start out with. So the lesson you took from that was what? Vet out your team. Any information you get, verify it, ask multiple questions. What we should have asked is we should have asked what kind of equipment he would use. Has he done that before? Maybe go see what other job has been done like that before. And we haven't done that. We kind of trusted his word and uh, ended up paying for it. Yeah, that's great advice. Could not agree more. And what is the best way for people to learn more about your business and connect with you? GIScompanies.co is our website. I'm on pretty much all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as Eugene Gershman. Well, Eugene, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your insights on all your development and experiences and endeavors. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Listeners, if you got value from today's show, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure you're following us on social media, and I hope you all have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.